0: War and peace, life and death, cancer, a father, a mother, a son, some very special cars, this week on Tempest. I'm David Obachowski, and welcome to Tempest, a series that explores our humorous, heartbreaking, and complicated relationships with cars. This week, we hear the story of Victoria and Victor. A mother and her son, two people and a family, who emigrated to the U.S. from the Philippines. They are survivors of war, of disease. They also have some very special cars. I went to their home in Los Angeles to hear their stories, to see those cars. I thought I
1: saw somebody walking around. Hey, (laughs) what's up? How much? How you doing? Not bad at all. Come in. Oh, thank you. We're
0: nice and cool. That's Victor. He's 52 years old. He works in IT. He lives with his mother, Victoria, in a modest home at the end of a quiet cul-de-sac. In their backyard, a gazebo surrounded by lush flowers. It's hidden away from view. And so his mother, Victoria, now 85, calls it...
2: Victoria's secret.
0: But if you're more of a car person than a flower person, then it's the garage and driveway that'll most interest you. The big three American auto manufacturers are represented here. In the garage, there's an absolutely pristine, dark green 1968 Dodge Charger RT with an earth-shaking 440. Parked next to it in sunny and spotless canary yellow, a 1965 Mustang with a more modestly sized 289 V8. In the driveway, a blue 66 Mustang, also sporting a 289. And then there's another car, kept under a cover. I can only imagine what absolute masterpiece of a car among these four gets to be the only one covered. Victor carefully removes the cloth, and there it is. A 1993 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra, ice blue. A 93 Oldsmobile Sierra. Okay, honestly, you've seen about 73 trillion of these in your life, and not one time have they ever caught your eye. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not disappointed. If you listen to Tempest, then you know that, of course, I'm a sucker for old Dodges. But even more, I am powerless for a story where someone cherishes a 93 Sierra over two classic Mustangs and the most glorious Charger that there ever was. And you're going to hear that story and plenty more when we return. Even on a budget, quality is
1: non-negotiable.
0: Victor will tell you he hasn't always been a car guy. No, I was not. I liked classic cars. I always liked looking at them, seeing you know magazines, but I didn't get my feet wet at all. I did, didn't even have anything but magazines and books. But my thinking is that if you're buying books and subscribing to magazines about cars, well, you like cars, and that makes you a car person. So what was the thing keeping him from making the leap from the pretty pages to a car of the ages? It was his father. My biggest critic. His father's views on old cars were simple. They were unreliable, worth neither the headache nor the money. What did Victor's father know about cars anyway? Well, as it turns out, quite a bit. He was building English forts in the Philippines. I mean, during the time I. They were either Anglicas, the original uh, Ford Escorts, or Cortinas. That's right. Victor's father worked as an engineer at a Ford factory in the Philippines for many years. In fact, it was this job that led him to emigrate to the U.S. He was told by satellite engineers who were setting
1: up satellites in the Philippines that he should become, come to America because they need engineers. And so he decided to follow her advice. But in doing so, he sold a lot of things just to get money together to get his whole family to get to the United States. And one of the things he sold was a 63
0: Falcon, which he absolutely loved. We'll get back to that, of course. But let's get back to Victor, a man who loves cars, but whose father, his biggest critic, discouraged the interest. What did it take for Victor to go his own way? Well, I'll let Victor tell you.
1: What happened was around 1999, maybe about 2000, around that area. It's been a while. It's been more than almost 20 years I had actually uh, had contracted bladder cancer and so, of course, sitting in bed, nothing to do, all I did was read my magazines, looked at my car stuff, and then I, dawned on me, I go well, geez, all this stuff and I'm going through life right now, why don't I actually just pull the trigger one day and just buy myself a car because, you know, you never know what's going to happen the next day from uh, tomorrow or next week. You could be gone, and then you never really realize your dreams
0: or your hobbies. So it was at that time I decided I was going to pick up a car. A few months after he had this revelation, while he was still receiving treatments, he took what turned out to be a fateful ride. I uh, was on
1: my way back from a Burbank uh, metro rail station, and I said, hmm, freeway traffic is horrible. I'm just going to go Take San Fernando Road. So when I took San Fernando Road, I saw these uh, headlights kind of like flash me in a parking lot.
0: It was a used car dealership. So I said, well, kind of cool. Maybe I should just take a look. Once he's in the lot, he tells the salesman about the headlights that caught his eye. Turns out it's a little 65 Mustang.
1: It was pale yellow, a little faded. I'm going, wow, it's kind of nice here.
0: I go, I could never afford one of these things. And I go, well, let's take a look at it. What the heck? Victor had spent a lot of time dreaming of an old car. He'd come up with three items that were non-negotiable. First of all, it's hot in L.A., so it would have to have A.C.
1: Looked into the car and went, wait a minute, what's that little thing underneath the dash? And the guy says, oh, well, that's air conditioning. Go, it probably doesn't work, does it? He goes, nope.
0: Blows the, like ice cubes. I went, okay. There goes reason number one. Second, there's a lot of freeway driving in L.A., And when the traffic isn't thick, it can move fast. He wanted to keep up. So whatever car he would get, it would have to have real power.
1: Second reason, I go, it's probably a six-cylinder. It's not going to get on the freeway, is it? He goes, no, it's 289 V8. Okay, cross off number two. Third. Well, third was the simplest of all. It's a cool
0: car. He goes, that's the third thing off of there. And I said, well, all the excuses are gone. Sure. It looked good on paper. But he still had to do his due diligence. Of course, I had the test driver first, and meanwhile, my biggest critic had to go with me, didn't he? As building them used to be his occupation, Carlos knew his old Fords. And since he was not tempted by classic cars, he would be a good check on Victor's eagerness to buy the first thing he'd looked at. So, he came with me, he
1: rode around the car, one hour, he loved it. He just loved the attention he got from the car. He loved the looks, he loved the power, he loved everything about it. All those little things he uh, didn't like himself
0: were slowly melting away. He told Victor, buy this car, and so he did. But then Victor says, I didn't own a 65 Mustang, he did.
1: He used to tell all his friends that he owned a 65 Mustang.
0: Maddening as it was to have his father flaunting his Mustang, Carlos was technically correct, and it all came down to a way Victor saved on his insurance premiums. If I had
1: him as a co-owner, I could be on the multi-car discount in the cars. And so,
0: technically, yes, he did own a 65 Mustang. <laughs> but there's a missing part to this story. You see, Carlos and Victor had more bonding them than the Mustang. Cancer. Almost simultaneously, they had developed the disease. Within, I'd say, a month he actually had prostate cancer before
1: I did, had the operation. I had the bladder cancer, which is a different kind of cancer. Right. Yes, we actually were going through it about the
0: same time. It was terrifying enough for Victoria to learn that her husband had cancer, but then learning her child did too? It was agonizing.
2: Just knowing that your son has cancer, in those times when you, I told you have cancer, that is a dead sentence.
0: Here, I want to jump back in time. Before Victor and Carlos were diagnosed with cancer, before Victor was even born, before the Mustang was even in existence, I want to take you back to the beginnings of the family, the Philippines, Manila to be specific. This is where Carlos and Victoria met, but this is where they would learn to survive. You were, were you born in Manila?
2: Yes. Okay.
0: And you were in Manila during World War II.
2: Yes, I was seven years old when the first uh, when the first bomb in uh, Hawaii, when the Japanese, it would be December 7 here, but in the Philippines it was 8.
0: Only 10 hours after the bomb struck Pearl Harbor, Japanese imperial forces invaded the Philippines, a U.S. colony. Manila was declared an open city by the United States, which meant the U.S. would not defend it and the city would be taken by occupying forces without a battle the japanese occupied manila from 1942 through 1945 and though it was an open city those were troubling years
2: i remember my aunt it was my aunt who took care, because my mom and my dad were working who took care of me we were trained because of gas that they That was the kind of warfare that they were afraid of. So she made a cloth mask, hand sewn from old, what do you call these shirts? Like this. So we were told to dip it in water then whenever we heard the siren. That was how we prepared.
0: Victoria may have been a child, but she took on the role of caretaker.
2: As a little girl, I, I I took charge all the time. You do what I tell you guys. I was the only girl of five older cousins, all boys. The youngest of them was two years older than me. But he obeyed what I said. Do this and he would do it. So I said, oh, we were taught that. And so I tell them, all right, put on your... And my brother was uh, three years younger than me. He, didn't, he does not remember it, so we would put that. And then, in those times, I don't know why we sought shelter under trees. And there were plenty of trees, you can imagine.
0: One of her more grim tasks was making sure her cousins and siblings were wearing their name tags at all times. How, what was the story with the name tags?
2: We had in case the parents were killed and we were left so somebody would know who we are. So we have our name, the date of birth, and maybe I I cannot remember. All I know is I have my name there and my date of birth.
0: In 1945, the United States liberated the Philippines with the Battle of Manila. It was unimaginably horrifying.
2: It's the liberation that was deadly and which I remember more because I was older.
0: And what, what do you remember from that?
2: The fires.
0: Victoria recalls how Japanese forces laid waste to as many structures as they possibly could as they retreated, massacring civilians along the way.
2: There is a river in Manila. It's called the Pasig River that connects like always the north and the south. Uh it so happened we were on this side on the where uh the American liberation they landed in Leyte and they came not from the north but south and the Japanese as they as they retreated killed anyone and burned the bridges i remember it fires everywhere and then the what are the canyons the, the, the mortars the mortars of course it would be mounted it's almost like i hear them uh, flying overhead with a big whoo, and then boom and you just see they killed
0: anyone they're
2: talking they about killed anyone they see outside civilians no matter what children or everyone i had four uncles on my mother's side who were all killed Two are soldiers killed in action by the Japanese and two were killed during the liberation because they rushed out to meet the liberating soldiers and the Japanese killed them, burned them. You know, that that was how they did it. You are killed and they pile you on top of one of the set fire because there is no way where can you bury them.
0: Staying indoors was a critical step for survival. But for a child, even one as protective and focused as Victoria, curiosity can be far too tempting.
2: You no, know, as a child, you're not afraid. <laughs> I remember um, when they bring con- convoys, the, the soldiers and their supplies into Manila, whatever, wherever. I remember this during the Japanese war. They would tell everyone to be inside. I was not afraid or I was curious, I peeped, and I saw some soldiers getting the water, washing their face, and drinking. I went out. And I talked to them. I don't know what I talked with, uh, I told them, but they told me they are not Japanese.
0: Victoria says, They told her they were Koreans, conscripted by the Japanese.
2: Koreans, because they they are just victims, captives, prisoners like we are, the Filipinos.
0: The Japanese order was to fight till the last man to keep the U.S. forces bogged down and prevent them from invading Japan itself. But the U.S. forces prevailed, though it was a brutal affair, one that involved shelling buildings in order to kill Japanese imperial soldiers or deprive them of shelter. This resulted in even more civilian deaths and casualties. All Victoria and her siblings and cousins could do was hunker down and pray. This will be difficult to hear, but this was Victoria's prayer.
2: My prayer has always been, let, if we are going to be killed, kill us all together, right? Let's, but if, Someone is going to be spared. I don't want to be the one spared because I have to take care of the things. I, want to, I don't want that responsibility. So I said, God, if we are going to be killed. Kill us all.
0: On March 3, 1945, one month after it had started, the Battle of Manila concluded. The United States lost just over 1,000 troops. Nearly 17,000 Japanese soldiers died. As for the number of Filipino civilians who were killed, estimates range from 100,000 to as high as 240,000, a death toll on par with that of both atomic bombs combined.
2: That was the liberation.
0: For Victoria, somehow life went on. She grew into a young woman and became a teacher she met a man named Carlos at a dance. Though Victoria tells me,
2: That's another thing. I'm not a good dancer. I, I don't have music, rhythm in my bones. I'm also, I'm monotone. I cannot sing. I cannot even whistle. But I love music. I listen as a listener. Oh, but they said they introduced him. I do not remember. Anyway, he has a convertible.
0: Not just a convertible, but a flashy yellow one from the 30s. Victoria and Carlos began dating, and as part of their courtship, they named the car. Lolita. The relationship lasted, but Lolita did not. Her trunk rusted out from hauling ice blocks from the ice house back to their home. As Victor told us, he bought a Ford Falcon, and he went to work at the Ford factory building Anglicas and Cortinas, but when he heard about the demand for engineers in the U.S., he sold the car to fund his journey to the States. This was back in about 1968.
1: My father is the one who went first, and of course he's the one who first settled in New York, found it was a little harsh weather and wanted a little bit more comfort for his family, so he ended up showing up to Los Angeles, and uh, where the temperature is much uh, more tempered. There's no extreme cold like they have in New York,
0: of course. In California, he found work with Cal OSHA. Cal OSHA
1: was a uh, organization, which is still in California, which does occupational health and safety. And he's the one who would come around and make sure the workplace is safe. And he would make sure the buildings were safe to occupy, whether or not the conditions for workers are are met. I mean, he's the poor man who has to see all those uh, injuries in the workplace and Sometimes deaths.
0: With a home waiting for them in Los Angeles, the rest of the family made their journey. Victoria remembers moving into their new neighborhood and noticing that a couple houses down, there was a Japanese family. That family noticed them too.
2: The the very first time that she was able to catch me, she knelt in front of me asking for forgiveness. I said, for what? I pulled her up. I said, "For what? For all the killings that my my countrymen did to you, to the Filipinos."
0: This woman apologized to you.
2: Apologized for the for the sin of my countrymen. That's how she said it. I said we both are victims you did not like the war neither did we and what good would it be to hold grudge now against each other
0: a short break and then we're back hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news Victor, the middle child, is named after his mother, but his father was intent on teaching him everything he knew. There may be an urge here to gloss this over, to romanticize things, but from how they say it, it sounds like it was sometimes difficult.
2: In those times, I didn't know. We always fought, we argued about, I was always in defense of Victor. Because I said, why do you subject him to all these hard chores and you let your other sons free? But he would say like this, take take CJ, take Ramon, but not Victor. Why? You want to enslave him forever? It was because he was teaching him all the things that he knew.
0: And even though it wasn't about admiring them or collecting them, Carlos taught Victor a little bit about cars, too.
2: Uh, That was what he was doing. He would take him... Pep Boys, was it Pep Boys that Mm, you're going to? Pep Boys. That that was when they get lost, that that was where they would be, in those uh, uh, auto shops to get parts, and that he would be telling him, what the uses are, how to replace them.
0: This was their dynamic throughout life. Victor the student, Carlos the stern teacher and sometimes biggest critic. But then they were both diagnosed with cancer. Carlos with prostate cancer, Victor with bladder cancer. It was an equalizer of sorts. It was a battle they both had to fight together but also on their own. Yes, the cancer was the wake-up call for Victor to finally get a vintage car, and yes, that Mustang gave Carlos an all-new appreciation for the past. But this is where the real crown jewel of the car collection comes in. The
1: 1993 Cutlass Sierra, which was the car which I helped, uh, well, he took me to uh, some treatments, and then when he had problems, I would take him to treatments with it. I mean, it was an old car, it was his last new car it's one of those cars which I don't care how much it's worth to me it's priceless because it's the car which took me to uh, some of the treatments and it took him to some treatments each of us alternating driving each other to it that in itself makes the car priceless because no matter how old or how trashy people think it is it's still dad's last ride and the car which took us through our treatments
0: this is not idle talk. Victor has had to contend with people telling him to get rid of it. Some family was going, well, Jesus is not worth Diddly Squad. It's not anything. I go, well, it's worth something to me and my mom. And he's put his money where his mouth is. Like when the motor blew on it a few years back, who gets a brand new motor for a 93 Sierra? Victor. And not just any motor.
1: Yeah, I had to find the last... A new old stock engine, I think it was in somewhere in Detroit, somewhere where somebody was hoarding it in a garage. It was still in the crate when my mechanic put it in and goes, where the heck did you find that thing? It cost more probably than what the car was worth, but I'll be honest with you, every penny of it, which I spent, is time that I have still with, you know,
0: driving around with dad. Carlos, as you can tell, did not make it. The treatments helped for a little while, but then, as Victoria told me, the cancer came back with a vengeance. But her worst fear was that her son would succumb to the disease, too. The disease that she says was a death sentence. Instead, Victor has been cancer-free for 20 years, though he sounds like he's almost always looking over his shoulder. Fortunately for me,
1: knock on wood, it hasn't come back to me in almost 20 years.
0: So they consider you cancer-free now, right? At the moment, yes. But I'm still a recovering person. Still a recovering person. Yeah. There was nine years there between Victor and Carlos's cancer diagnoses and Carlos's death. Nine years. In that time, their relationship took on new meaning. Not just father and son, but survivors and fighters. And with that first Mustang, car guys, heck, co-owners, I told you that the Ford Falcon that Carlos had sold to make the leap to America would come back into this story, and here it does. For his father's 80th birthday, Victor wanted to pay his dad back. He loved that car, he
1: took care of it, and it was one of his jewels that he owned. And so, when the Mustang came around, the little blue one, the 66, I said, what a proper way to thank dad on his 80th birthday that he get Another Ford, which is a lot nicer than his little Ford Falcon. And ironically, the Ford Mustang was built on the Ford
0: Falcon chassis, so in a way, I gave him back up his Ford Falcon. Carlos got to enjoy the 66 for seven years. Toward the end of those years, Victor had an opportunity to buy what appeared to be a tired, rusted old 68 Charger. No longer his biggest critic, his dad urged him to do it, seeing its potential.
1: He loved that car, I mean he uh, brought it to the guy who painted, it, who painted it now and he had me go through all the stuff with it but unfortunately uh, he never got to see it finished. He enjoyed it, he loved the way it looked like and he knew it was going to be worth something. He always said on his dying bed actually he told me to finish the car. And so I honored his wishes by finishing the car after a few years of mourning, of course. And now it's exactly where you see
0: today. And this is where Victoria comes back into the picture. Victoria doesn't drive, so she likes to say she's had the cleanest California driver's license of anyone since 1972. Still, that doesn't mean she can't love cars. And where Victor lost one kindred spirit, he gained another. The one thing which my uh, mother has always uh,
1: enjoyed doing with me is car shows because she saw how much I it with my dad and I said, well, I'll just do it myself. She goes, no, I'll go with you. So, she herself found how much she enjoys riding around places and I always find places to go with the car in the car show.
0: And if she has her say in which car to take, there's no question. The 68 Charger RT, aka Magnum. That was named by my mom.
1: <laughs> she named
0: it uh, Magnum after her favorite TV
1: show. But she didn't realize she was calling it Magnum, but the engine
0: is actually a 440 Magnum, so thus, she named it the Magnum. Actually, Victoria expands on this and makes it even better.
2: That's called Charlemagne, uh, Carlo Magnum.
0: And I also thought you uh, said from
1: your favorite TV show, the Magnum P.I. Yeah.
2: Yes, but no, it's Charlemagne, yeah. oh, okay. Charlemagne. Uh, actually.
0: So why is it Charlemagne?
2: Charlemagne is Carlo Magno, Charles the Great.
0: Charlemagne, Charles the Great, Charles, Carlos, you get it. Do you ride in that car a lot?
2: Yes. And the car calls more attention than anything else. I remember we took it to what's Vegas? it Vegas? Yes. And people started taking pictures. I said, "Hey, let me get out first."
0: Coming up after this last break, Victor gets a new biggest critic. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Every car in their collection has its place. The Charger, a.k.a. Carlo Magnum, a.k.a. Charlemagne, a.k.a. Charles the Great, is the flashiest, most powerful. The blue 66 Mustang was the second coming of the Falcon and a milestone birthday gift. The 65 Mustang was the beginning of a bond, an all-new life of cars. And then there's the priceless one, the 1993 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. Victor is its caretaker day-to-day, but Victoria is the true protector of the car.
2: That's why one time I got mad at him, because it's nice car to drive around. It's very comfortable, and it looks luxurious, right? I said you're lugging all your heavy friends <laughs> over there no let them drive their cars but not my Oldsmobile <laughs> Because he was lugging all those big guys in uh, Oldsmobile and his father took care of that. I said if you're what father he would be turning his grave. People eat and leave crumbs and ah! Like what I said, your father would be turning in his grave, Victor.
0: Victor seems like he's a pretty good caretaker of the cars, though. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Maybe Victoria doesn't drive and doesn't know how to fix a car, but maybe being a car person doesn't have anything to do with that anyway. Maybe being a real car person is having the understanding of all that a car can stand for, the history the good times, the bad times, and the people you love, some of whom are right next to you, and others who have said goodbye. Mom said, if you ever sell any of the
1: cars, it's nice to have the money, but will you ever be able to have, uh, buy those memories back which you have lost from selling the car? And I think that the car feels like it's still, well, it's still there, dad's still around, giving you a little bit of guidance.
0: That's the end of this episode. Usually I'd play a song here and say my thanks, but this episode is a little different. As you've just heard, cancer is a big part of this story, and it's something that affects a lot of people. As I was creating this episode, I got news that an old friend of mine died after a six year battle with the disease. His name was Mike Liguori, and I'd like to say a few words about him. I hadn't spoken with Mike since 1995, which is when he graduated high school. I met Mike because our high school, Marstown High School in New Jersey, has its own student-run radio station, 90.5 WJSV. Mike was a DJ there. I got involved with the radio station my freshman year, and Mike very immediately had a big impact on me. Specifically, Mike showed me how creative you could be with audio. He integrated samples from movies, strange and funny music, clips of phone calls, and through it all, some exceptionally funny banter between himself and his co host Though he was older, Mike never looked down on me or condescended. He was just a great guy, and funnier than I can ever say. And like I said, he was creative, effortlessly so. I listened to Mike's show every single chance I could, often taping them so I could review his techniques. And by review, of course, I mean try to copy. Put simply, Mike was an influence on the producer that I am today. And so I dedicate this episode to his memory. And with that... Thanks for listening to Tempest. I'm David Obachowski, and I wrote, produced, and edited the episode. I did the music, too, along with my good friend and collaborator, Kenny Appel. Distant correspondent to the theme song. Find me on Twitter at Tempest Podcast or David O. from NJ. That's David O. from New Jersey. Email me with comments or your car story, Tempest at TempestPodcast.com rate, review, and subscribe, tell your friends, and thanks for listening.